0: Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Hi, everybody. Welcome along to another episode of The Dispatches. It's great to be back with you again. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, if you're not already a subscriber, why not hit that little follow or subscribe button? And that way you'll be kept up to date about every single new episode of The Dispatches that we publish. And here's an added bonus. If you want to get even more episodes of The Dispatches, then why not become a patron of Left Foot Media at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. And if you do that, you will get access to an extra episode of The Dispatches every single week Week So every single week for our $5 or more patrons, so people who make a contribution of $5 or more per month, which is about the cost of a cup of coffee, they get access to a special Patreon-only episode of The Dispatches every single week. So that's an extra four to five episodes available exclusively to our patrons every single month as a, a little return on their investment in this humble little independent media venture. Uh, if you're interested in doing that, let me just give you a little bit of an appetite taster for what's coming up on Monday. The, the very next episode of The Dispatches will be a patron-only episode uh, this coming Monday. And in that episode, among other things, I'm going to be talking about the historical fallacy because we're sort of starting to see a little bit more about that in the, the sort of the current climate and the discussions that are going on. Uh, the change in vaccine intervals in New Zealand uh and and what that what that all means and some big questions about uh, why why has that been done and then also i want to talk about celebrities who are deliberately stoking social and you know uh, sort of public division between people and and uh, actively being sort of lauded and celebrated for that and uh why i don't think that's a good thing at all so those issues among others will be talked about in the next episode if you want to hear that episode Uh, you need to become a supporter of ours on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. $5 or more per month will get you access to those special patron-only episodes of The Dispatches. The link for our Patreon page is found in the show notes for this episode. One other thing before I jump into today's topic of conversation, you might have noticed a quirky little glitch with our previous episode. It was. This was certainly the case on Spotify anyway. We had a bit of a technical problem. Yeah, you know, we're not perfect. And we had a technical problem. And what it meant is we had to re-upload the episode, the previous episode. But for some reason, for at least several hours, and at least on Spotify anyway, I don't know what it was like on other platforms, there was this strange glitch with the last episode of The Dispatches where you got about 20 minutes into a 35 minute podcast episode. And all of a sudden at the 20 minute mark or roughly around there, it just completely rebooted and started the whole episode again. And so it turned what was actually a 35 minute episode into a 55 minute episode. Uh, There wasn't 55 minutes of content. There was only 35 minutes, but it just did this strange reboot. It seems to have come right now, but apologies if you experienced that glitch. And apologies for those who thought, hey, I'm being ripped off here. Where's my extra 20 minutes of content that I was promised? Uh, So yeah, these things happen. Right, today's episode is about the issue of drawing your line in the sand. Today's topic of conversation I want to talk about I've titled, Now is the Time to Draw Your Line in the Sand. Uh, as I was thinking about this topic, I, w- I was thinking about one of my favourite Tom Petty songs. I'm a fan of Tom Petty, I like a lot of his songs, but one of my favourites, and it's a very popular one that's quite well known, is I Won't Back Down. And let me read to you some of the verses from that song. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I'll stand my ground, won't be turned around, and I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground. Well, I know what's right. I got just one life in a world that keeps on pushing me around, but I'll stand my ground. I love that song. And it really speaks to what I want to talk about today. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, and actually for a long time, it's, it's in my current movie collection, actually. One of my favorite films is the Western High Noon, the classic Western. It was a film that I was introduced to by my late father, and it's a great film. It was groundbreaking for a few reasons. There's uh, some pretty interesting cinematography in it. For example, there's one particular scene in the opening of the film that we sort of take for granted today, but there's a camera put on the back of a horse and carriage, sort of almost like a cam shot, and it tracks into this town, and and you see this new and uh, interesting way of, of filming uh, or, or doing cinematography. Now we ta- as I said, we sort of take that thing for sort of thing for granted today, but it, uh, it was a bit new at the time. Uh, and also the sort of the nature and the content of the storytelling. It's a, it's a film that still holds up quite well today. Uh, it's very well paced and it, it really gets to the heart of what, what is quite an important issue. And that is the issue of conscience and making a stand for conscience and being clear about what you stand for. High Noon is a, is a film that tells the story of Marshall Will Kane, played by Gary Cooper. And the film starts with Marshal Will Kane on his wedding day. And it's, as you might expect, a very sort of joyous and celebratory occasion. And the townsfolk are there and they really idolise this man and they're grateful to him for all that he's done for them. And they look up to him and it's a very joyous sort of occasion. But then what happens is word arrives that Frank Miller, a violent criminal who had previously been arrested and imprisoned by the Marshal, that he's been let out of prison, and he is coming for Marshal Will Kane, that he wants to kill him, and that if he's he's coming to town, and if he finds him there, he's going to kill him. He's coming with his gang of thugs. And so all of a sudden, this newly married Marshal Will Kane is faced with this moral dilemma, what do I do? And it is a dilemma, and this is one of the great things about the story, is there's a bit of complexity to this, because he has the option always to to get on his horse and ride out of town with his new bride. This new young family get to go on their way and and, and just leave it all behind them. But he refuses to do that. Instead, he chooses to make his stand. And what he's actually doing, the townsfolk don't really realize this at the time, but what he's actually doing is he's doing something very important. He is putting himself in harm's way in order to try and nip a very serious evil in the bud. So he's, he's trying to stop oppression before it grows like a sort of toxic cancerous thing and it really takes hold and I guess becomes the norm, if you like. And so he's going to make his stand against this and do the right thing because this isn't acceptable for someone to just turn up and threaten to kill, let alone actually kill another person as an act of vengeance. That's not a good thing. And to stand against unjust oppression is the good and right thing to do. But here's the problem. The townsfolk don't see it that way. And they would much rather have things nice and simple. Just leave town, Will Kane, and, and it'll all be fine. And so these people who start at the beginning of the film, his friends and allies, and you know they're, they're basically they lord him for the great man that he is, when he needs them most, they all abandon him one by one. And he's left to make this final stand on his own. Well, not quite on his own. His new bride joins him, and there's something about that actually in the story too. This idea of a of, of a family. It's it's actually a family that stands against the culture of darkness and holds the line. But he's left to do this on his own, and no one else will stand with him. And I remember, you know, the the, the impact of that film as you watch, it, particularly when you're a young kid, you sort of you see the the great moral courage and the the virtue in his actions, and there's you instinctively know there's something right about what he did. That yes, he could have run, that he could have got on his horse and carriage and packed everything up and just gone. But you instinctively have a sense that wasn't the right thing to do, even though that was the very easy and certainly comfortable thing to do. And you look at this and you see a man who's drawn his line in the sand, and he's drawn his line and he makes his stand. He doesn't back down. But here's the thing, that, that sort of action, that sort of behavior on the part of any person, it doesn't happen by chance. You know, we look at those sorts of things and we go, "Wow! Well, I hope I can be like that if a big crisis ever arrives. I hope I can, you know, make a good stand for virtue and hold my ground and show courage in the face of great fear. I mean, we all want to do that, but that doesn't happen by chance. The only reason that will happen in your life is if you have already built a habit of virtue into your life and in lots of little ways and very safe and comfortable ways, if you like. And then when the big crisis moment hits, you will know what to do. You won't need to ask yourself, oh gosh, what do I do instinctively? You will have a reflex, a muscle memory, if you like, a moral muscle memory that will just kick into play because you've been doing it so often in so many other training warm ups, if you like, and all those other little ways you've strived to live out important virtues in your life. You see, I think that one of the really important aspects of living a truly moral life is to actually know where the moral line in the sand is, to have a clear understanding of what the moral line in the sand is. And in order to maintain that line in the sand, you obviously must know in advance. You, you need to. You, you, if you don't have a clear understanding of where the line in the sand should be, and you find yourself in the midst of a crisis, you're more likely just to be swept along by the tsunami and the hurricane of the crisis than you are to actually stand your ground at points where you might look back and you might look back with regret and say, Gosh, I did cross the line there. I wish I hadn't done that. Or, you know, I wish I acted differently. I wish I'd supported this person. And I should have done this or I should have done that and I didn't. Or, I guess the other option is that you look back and you say, Well, I'm going to try and justify now why I didn't actually stand my ground and I didn't have a line in the sand, which is also can be a very common behavior that we get into. But it's important to, to have that line in the sand and be clear about it before you get into the situation. And that way you are more likely to actually hold the line when you should be holding the line. And I think and this is really what today's episode is about. And I, I really want to encourage people to actually take the time to think to themselves, well, what is my line in the sand? Because currently we are in a crisis. We're in the eye of a a massive hurricane and an upheaval. And it it sort of seems at the moment it's accelerated, certainly in this country here in New Zealand, it's accelerated dramatically in the last week or two. And every day it seems there's an intensity and and a growing nature of that storm. So what is your line in the sand? Do you know what it is? I I, uh, read something recently about uh, suicide, and apparently the research indicates that if you have a prior moral opposition to suicide, so you believe prior to finding yourself in a mental health crisis or a crisis of meaning, a crisis of hope, a loss of hope, if you already have a, a moral opposition to suicide, you know that suicide is morally wrong before you get into that situation, you're actually less likely to end up taking your life than someone who doesn't have that prior belief. That's a a very stark and quite clear example of what I'm talking about here, of having already drawn the line in the sand so that when the waves start to rise, you have a point at which you say, okay, I'm getting out of the water now because this is my line. And I'm not going beyond it. So I'm getting out of the water before the tsunami hits. You see, to be a truly moral person, I think you need to be morally alert. I don't think you can be a good moral person if you don't at least have some awareness or some intuition, if you like, about behaviors and actions and when things are moral and when they're not moral. To quote the great Bob Dylan, uh, everybody serves somebody. Uh, you know, you might be rich, you might be poor, but everybody will serve somebody, as he says in that famous song. You know, it might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you will serve somebody. And as I often like to say, if you you, you don't actually choose the, and you don't have a clear moral intuition and awareness, and you're not making active moral choices, then you will become slaves or a slave to forces that choose you, that you didn't control. Often they're very superficial. You will become a slave to whatever's going on around you, whatever it is that can connect with and drive your passions and emotions. You know, those sort of very base experiences, those base things about the human experience, whatever can capture those, that's the thing that'll that'll be making the decision-making for you about how you act. And so, you know, you've got to make a decision about this and you've got to have a certain foresight and intuition, a a spidey sense, if you like, a moral spidey sense that tingles at the right time. As the great Johnny Cash says in his song, uh, Walk the Line, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. There's an intuition, a moral intuition, I don't just assume, I don't just take things for granted, and I have a, a, a sort of a clear understanding about uh, who I am in the world and how I should act in the world. It, you know, as I said, that that suicide statistic is such a, a clear and, and really quite shocking example of that. A clear understanding of how you should act, that line in the sand is already draw, drawn And then my spidey senses, if you like, they're always ready to go. They're always ready to start tingling when something isn't quite right. If you don't have the line in the sand, it's sort of not clear what you should or shouldn't be doing in any given situation. So here's some important considerations about drawing a line in the sand. Number one, it's important to note that there is a difference between drawing a moral line in the sand and just basic bloody minded stubbornness where you just you you just randomly putting marks on the ground and saying, I'm going to hold my ground here. Come take my guns from my cold dead hands, if you dare. <laughs> and and, and there's it's sort of just this pure stubbornness, and uh, I'm going to hold this ground no matter what. Which, by the way, that might not always be the moral thing to do. You know, that old adage, knowing what is the right hill to die on. And it's really important to understand that. You, you might be in a situation where you might be absolutely fully justified in taking a particular type of stand in a particular situation. Like there might be a group of people in, a say, a staff meeting at work who have all done something wrong that needs to be addressed. But it might be completely the wrong way to go about things, completely imprudent of you to stand up in the middle of that meeting and to reprimand those other people, those other staff members. It might be more prudent to just quietly go to those people one-on-one, have a conversation, and then bring them in to a more correct and proper process. So that there is a difference, and there definitely is a difference between just bloody-minded stubbornness And drawing a good moral line in the sand and and then holding that line. And I think a key to this is actually humility, the virtue of humility. It's essential. All of us need to accept that we can be wrong. Not just that we can be wrong, that we often are wrong about things. And we need to have the humility to be willing to accept that as new information comes to light or as things change, that. If we are in the wrong, if we've taken a stand that's not the right stand to take, then we need to move our position and shift ourselves from where we are to somewhere else. And that's not easy to do. It's hard. It's challenging to accept that. I think one of the hardest things for us as human beings to do is to accept when we're getting things wrong and then be willing to actually make the change. That's even harder. It's just pride is, our, uh, I think, one of our biggest weaknesses. I've said throughout this whole current crisis of the pandemic that the greatest danger, I believe, comes from people who right now, as we stand in the middle of this storm, this hurricane, this swirling crisis, the greatest danger comes from people who say, no, no, I've got absolute clear sight. I 100% know what is going on and what is going to happen here and who are absolutely, absolutely adamant. That's actually, which whatever the issue is and wherever you fall on different issues, if that is your stance, then I would say that's a very dangerous place to be. It's not dangerous to be when you've got when there is legitimate clarity and you can see the horizon. But at the moment we can't see the horizon. So it's actually very dangerous to have people just boldly declaring they have absolute clear sight and they know what is what. It's actually very, very risky. So humility is absolutely essential in this. Having the humility. And, and even just that basic level of constantly functioning humility, I'd like to call it, where you just have a, a sense and, a, and you're, you're, you're effectively, you're sort of checking yourself on a regular basis just to make sure that you haven't fallen into sort of a bloody minded stubbornness rather than, you know, you're still making a genuine sort of moral stand. You've drawn your line in the sand. Number two, a really important thing to do is, is to stop and ask yourself, well, What is my line in the sand and, this is important, and why is that the line? So what is your line in the sand and why is that the line that you've chosen to draw? You see that the why is really, really important. And and the reason the why is really important is because as a crisis evolves and change, changes start to happen within that crisis and and uh, perhaps things might get more intense or they might calm down and tail off, you need to understand what your first principles are that are motivating you to make a particular stand so that as the context changes, you can change with it if you need to. Because that very often happens to be the case as we become more aware of something and more knowledge comes to the light, it can become clear that we need to adjust our position, you know, either for or against certain things. Or, you know, uh, you might be start advocating a position you previously didn't advocate or stop advocating one you previously have advocated. This is why the why is so important, because the way you do that is, and this is how you avoid that bloody-minded stubbornness, is you don't just say, well, this is my line in the sand and I'm always going to hold to it. I mean, there are certain lines that you always hold. So, for example, thou shalt not kill. That, that's the line that I will always hold. I will never deliberately kill another innocent human being. That's just, that, that's a given. That's, that line is never going to be crossed. But then there are lots of other lines as well where context will change where exactly the line should be. And so that's really, really important. And, and, and the way you know when to shift that line, I believe, is if you have a clear understanding of the why you you drew that line in the first place, a clear understanding of your first principles. What are they? So what I would say to you and what I'd suggest is, as soon as you can after listening to this podcast, if you haven't already done this and you're contemplating what's going on in the world right now, just stop and spend some quiet reflection time just contemplating that question. Well, what is my line in the sand and why is that my line in the sand? Any particular issue you're struggling with at the moment, what is it? And why is that the line? And and, and start to ask yourself, well, what are my first principles? And a lot of people have never done this. What are they? See, I, I was thinking about this in preparation for today's episode. And for me, here's some of my first principles. This is not all of them, but just in this current sort of situation we find ourselves in, here's what I think really matters. So One of my first principles that is a first principle just in everything, really, is the call to authentic, self-giving love. Now, for me, that I very much cling to that Judeo-Christian natural law ethic, and so my Christian faith very much informs that call, because it's the central calling of that that Christian faith. But it's what we call a natural law ethic as well, that any person of goodwill I think, should strive to cling to as their primary goal. Authentic love. Now, what is authentic love? Because the the word love is so often confused these days. It's not simply a mushy feeling that you get around another person or about a certain thing. That's sentimentality. Now, sentimentality will come and go. But authentic love is lasting. It is deeper than that. And authentic love is certainly not objectification taking a person and using them in whatever way to achieve your own desired outcome for your own fulfillment and satisfaction and gratification. Authentic love is a tangible thing, a very, very tangible and practical thing, actually. It is the act of self-giving. Authentic love is the act of willing, desiring, acting for, wanting, and in doing things in order to obtain the good of another person. That's love. That's authentic love. And so during the current crisis, you've heard this call from people who talk about the idea of of our actions and particular actions being a call to love our neighbor. But that's obviously a two-way street as well. So a part of authentic self-giving love is that there should never be any form of unjust coercion or force. Now there can be acts of force that are still loving. Let me explain. Let's say that you have a deranged madman who comes into your suburb and starts killing people. And what it might be, uh, what might be required to bring an end to that unjust aggression and that violence and brutality and evil is that. Someone or a group of people might have to put themselves in harm's way, this is an act of self-giving love, and actually use physical force to restrain, or possibly even something more serious, if there's no other options, to, to bring an end to that unjust aggression and evil. Now that's an act of force, but it's an act of force that's carried out at the service of love. It's carried out out of love for the vulnerable and the innocent. It's carried out out of love for truth and out of love for goodness. And so, you know, those situations can be justified. But generally speaking, coercion is not a a good thing. And certainly any form of unjust coercion, so any type of coercion or force that is contrary, in this case, to the dignity of the human person, to the dignity of goodness and truth. Which brings me to my second first principle, and that's human dignity. The idea of moral equality, this notion that every single human being is made in the image of God. This is the Judeo-Christian natural law ethic, and they have human dignity. So for the natural law Judeo-Christian ethic, human dignity is not some weird sort of ethereal type thing. You know, often you ask people to sort of define it a bit more, and it sort of sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, uh, it's dignity, and uh, it's it's for humans. <laughs> this is actually something substantial. It's this notion that uh, that we have a, a, a common brotherhood and sisterhood, that we are all children of God, equal in God's eyes. You know that very much, this is the idea that Martin Luther King Jr. is motivated by. There's a moral equality between human beings, and you see this throughout the Christian scriptures in the New Testament. And you see it in several places in the writings of Paul and also Peter at one point in the book of Acts, this idea that there is no Jew or Gentile, no woman or man, no slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, you know all are one in Christ. And this is this idea that regardless of where you are in the social or authority hierarchy, so whether you're the boss, uh, the prime minister, or whether you're a poor person who lives on the street and is homeless... Whether you're the cleaner or the manager, no matter where you are in the hierarchy, you have moral equality with every other person in that hierarchy. There is, you know, no other person is more valuable than you are. No other person has more moral worth than you do. Every single human being, regardless of their age, their race, their status, their gender, any of those other things you know, we're all equal. We're all morally equal. And so what that means is we have an obligation to, to uh, fundamental respect towards each other and our attitudes and our actions and orientations. And so we must never dehumanize another person and reduce them to an object in our particular schemes or plans. They must never be reduced to an object in a plan or a strategy that we want to carry out. That would be to dehumanize a person. To fail to respect their human dignity, freedom of conscience is an important first principle for me uh, when it comes to uh, decision making, and particularly decision making that involves a moral component, which is quite often the case, and particularly in the current situation we find ourselves in. This is not like simply uh, choosing your favourite uh, packet of soup in the supermarket aisle. This is this is something much more here, and there is a there is a very serious moral, there several serious moral considerations in all of this. And while we can certainly prohibit immoral behaviors and prohibit evil actions, the whole notion of freedom of conscience is very much grounded in this idea that I can't force another person to participate in my moral actions. So if I want to engage in a particular course of action, a particular moral action, I can't force you to do that with me. Because I'm forcing you now, I'm doing something unjust, I'm forcing you to participate in a moral action that you haven't consented to. And so this is a really, really important principle, You know that you, you, can't, you can't just simply say, well, I'm going to punish you if you refuse to do this moral action that I want you to do. Again, that goes back to human dignity and not dehumanizing persons not reducing them to objects, recognizing that the the gift of their intellect and their will are very important things and that they certainly can be invited and ideas proposed and schemes proposed and people can be encouraged and all those kinds of things, but to manipulate, to lie to, to force. And, and I, I think this is just such an important thing that in the current crisis, I'm not surprised to see this unraveling Because in other areas, in fact, I've got a future episode of the podcast coming up actually about a group of doctors here in New Zealand who uh, recently lost a court case around this very issue. And it reflects a trend which has been happening in our society for some years now and a a clear breakdown and understanding of, of the importance of legitimate freedom of conscience and why that matters so much. And one big thing to think about in this current crisis really is that, you don't want a situation. It, it, this never works out well when people simply surrender their conscience to the state. That never ever works out well. It never works out well when doctors and professionals are bound and have their consciences um, conformed and controlled by the state and they're not allowed to act according to you know a free and conscientious decision-making process of their own. It never works out well when citizens, are forced to conform their consciences to surrender them to the, the edicts and, and the various decision making uh, things that happen around uh, around the state and those in power. Uh, another important first principle for me is proportionality. So, it, you know w- with any sort of given situation and I guess you might say threat or risk, um, you know you you need to be proportionate in your responses to that. So proportionality is an important first principle. You know, the more serious and extreme, you know, obviously the stronger your response or reactions are going to be to something. You know, and, and the way to and 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 this is another important first principle to me: that the way to know and understand proportionality is really to have the the virtue of prudence operating. The prudence to know when to speak and when not to speak, when to act and when not to act. The prudence to know whether or not a good, uh, you know, even if it's a really good, well-intentioned strategy. Actually, forcing people into that strategy is actually a really prudent thing to do or not. You know, the outcome you want might be really good, but it, it might lack all prudence to demand that people participate in that particular action aimed at producing that outcome. So, prudence, I think, is an important first principle. And of course, humility is absolutely essential. I think humility is one of those, just again, this is another one of those first principles that should apply just consistently in our lives. H- having the, the humility to constantly stop and check ourselves and say, okay, am I still standing in the right place? Is my line in the sand still in the right place? Is this the right line in the sand? Have I made a mistake? All those kinds of things. But you need humility to do that. The humility to accept that other people are going to make different choices and not to punish or the instinct is to probably want to punish or ostracize or look down on or condescend them. All of those actions show a lack of humility. It assumes that we have an absolute sort of infallible um, knowledge and, 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 and prowess of knowing that they don't have. And so we're going to, again, this leads to a sort of dehumanization where we treat them as if they are incapable of contemplating and rationalizing and thinking through issues and then making a decision of their own. And number three, third and final, is that, this is really important, I think, you can't prioritize both maintaining a line in the sand and popularity or comfort. You can't prioritize both of those things. One of them will win out. In fact, very often, if you need to draw a line in the sand, and particularly in the midst of a crisis, you certainly cannot have comfort and popularity as one of your priorities. What will happen is that if you try and maintain those two things, comfort and popularity and holding the line as priorities, then what will happen is comfort and popularity will win out every time. So what you have to do is you have to prioritize having a good moral line in the sand. You have to prioritize the line in the sand and standing and on that line and holding your ground. Here's the thing. Most of us look back through atrocities throughout human history and injustices, and we we very often, we like to think to ourselves, things like, well, I I would have stood against Hitler you know, I would, have, I would have hidden Jews in my home. I would have formed some underground resistance movement against the Nazis. Or I would have marched with Martin Luther King Jr. I would have been there right there alongside him. I would have voted for civil rights. Here's the truth of it, though. In actual fact, most people didn't do that. And the cold hard truth is that today, most people wouldn't do that in a state of crisis either. And there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the important things to note is that popular support only comes, or usually it's, this is the way, but it usually only comes after there's no real threat or the cost to actually holding that line is minimal. And often that will happen after some form of collapse has occurred, a crisis that is so big and overwhelming that it forces and necessitates a change. It forces people to actually suddenly draw the proper line and then stand on that line. And so, you know, in Germany, obviously, the war is lost and there's the collapse of Germany. And there's a, finally, there's a recognition. But even then, it's interesting, I remember watching the World at War documentary series. And one of the great things about that documentary series was that it was filmed in the seventies, the early seventies. And so you've got people who are actually still alive at that point who were present through that period of World War Two. And so they're interviewed and telling their stories. And and I remember just being so astounded by one particular German man who's being interviewed in the nineteen seventies and he's sitting there saying, Look, I think Hitler went too far with gassing and killing the Jews. He should have just put them on trains and shipped them out of Europe. But he was other than that, he was he was uh he was still the greatest leader Germany's ever had. And that's astounding. Several decades later, here's this man still, still trying to justify, despite all of the collapse and all the clear and unavoidable, inescapable truth of the atrocities and the evil and where the line in the, la- line in the sand should be. He still wasn't willing to draw the line and actually stand on that line. That's quite astounding when you think about it. But that is not unusual. It's not unusual at all. In actual fact, in times of great crisis where a line in the sand is required and and to be drawn and where people are required to actually stand on that line, the sad reality is that most people won't draw the line and stand there. They, you know people talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, you know I would have marched at Selma and but the truth is most people didn't and it's only really once you get to the to those kind of serious incidents that are where it's inescapable and unavoidable the violence of what's happening there's a sort of collapse happens there's a you you can't turn away anymore it has to get to that point but if there is a cost involved there's threat there's a cost that's serious involved in standing the line a lot of people just don't stand the line and you need to understand that that you know if you're going to draw your line in the sand you need to accept that and, and this is the thing i find most difficult about all of this actually is that even in my i've drawn a line in the sand right now i mean this podcast as i've said many times isn't simply a covid podcast but because covid's so all consuming right now it's it's a common topic of conversation and even sort of asking questions and trying to navigate these things in a way that i think is reasonable that I, that I think is, is virtuous, that I think is prudent. Even just having the public conversation about that is regularly seen me labeled as someone who's dangerous, who's a threat, who's a kook, who's a conspiracy theorist. None of those things are true, particularly the conspiracy theorist. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit kooky, sure, but I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe the conspiracy theories. Uh, I'm just trying to prudently navigate this thing with a, a basic sense of caution and appropriate caution not over-caution. And, uh, and and even trying to do that in a public sort of way, there's a cost to that. And I felt that. I've really felt that this time around. It's very, very interesting to feel that cost. And I have received... Uh, you know, I've, I've had some pretty <laughs> gnarly insults thrown at me by people simply for doing that. But I've drawn my line in the sand and I know where it is and I know why it's there and that's the line and, and I hold the line. And it's not easy and some days I really doubt myself. And that's the thing. It's it's a it's a very powerful reminder of how challenging this actually is. No one is born with a super moral gene, a super gene of courage that allows them to just do the right thing all the time and hold the line and it's no worries at all. It's just like water off a duck's back. It just isn't. As I said, we all want to be like Marshall Kane, but it's man, it's hard. It's really, really hard to do that. So let me finish up now with a few thoughts just to to close out this episode. Even if the current vaccine strategy, because I want to sort of let, let's hone down there and sort of put it to the current context, even if the current vaccine strategy turns out to be this absolutely magic silver bullet, it, it just works. It's just amazing. It's sort of semi-miraculous. Wow. You know, even better than than you know the the the, the staunch proponents of this were hoping for. And even if The the long-term data for the vaccine, once it finally arrives in the future, we don't have it yet, but in the future when it arrives, it just shows, wow, this was the safest vaccine, the safest uh, new therapy, new drug that was ever put on the market. It's just amazing. Even if that turns out to be the case, this, what is going on right now in a lot of situations, will still have been unjust. It will have still been immoral. That's because for the Judeo-Christian natural law ethic, we are not consequentialists. The outcome does not change the nature of the means, the method you used to achieve that outcome. You might get a really good outcome, but if you got it by doing something that was evil and immoral, the good outcome doesn't make the evil and immoral good, and it doesn't justify what happened there at all. You see, as I said, there is no clear side at the moment. At the moment, What we've got is people who are pushing strategies and ideas and really making quite serious demands of citizens based on these things. And they are doing so in a way that is, that they are hopeful that this will produce the right result, but there's no certainty. And so it could go either way, but regardless of which way it does go, whether it's really, really good or it's not so good, and so it just doesn't actually solve the problem, or I guess hopefully not, but even if it was created a massive problem, then th- today what's happening right now still won't have been justified. And th- this, is, this is really important about drawing your line in the sand and, and living a moral life, is that the end does not justify the means. The end does not justify the means. Th- what ha- happens very often is we create these narratives where we say, well, we've got a good outcome. And then we try and retrospectively use that to justify the way we got there. To be truly good and moral people, it's not just about the things that we're achieving. It's about the way that we are achieving them. I could end poverty, or not me, but we could end poverty in New Zealand tomorrow if we just eradicated every person who, let's say every person earning less than $30,000 a year, we just eradicated them and gave away all their resources to everyone else. Hey, look, we've ended poverty. The outcome is good, an end to poverty. The way you did it was terribly immoral and unjust. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not comparing killing people with what's going on right now, but you get the point, I think. And, And this really matters. So it matters right now. Right now, we're in the eye of the hurricane, and it matters, and I think it's important to stop and to consider, well, what is my line in the sand that I won't cross? So that if it ever does get to a point, that things get worse, that, you know, you know what the line is. And that'll be different for different people. But there's a lot of, the the storm is really raging right now. It's, this is not hyperbole. This is not fear-mongering. It's just stating facts. And I'm trying to be as calm and rational as I can about this. We have, I I heard from someone just yesterday who has a family member, and and it's not the first time I've heard this. I've heard others saying this, that they are vaccinating uh, to try and get out of lockdown, so they're taking the vaccine they wouldn't otherwise. But they're saying, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally do this, and I, I don't consent." But because I want to get out of lockdown, I'll, I'll get the vaccine. So they're desperate, and so this idea of vaccinating against lockdowns is starting to gain a bit of currency with some people. When in actual fact, that's not even what the vaccine is promising, by the way. Uh, and there's absolutely no guarantee that that will be the outcome either. So I really, I really fear and worry for people in that situation. What happens? If and when, it's probably when, but if, um, you know, we, we end up in another lockdown situation after they've sort of, in their mind, have believed that the vaccine would, or getting vaccinated would stop that, um, or, you know, lots of people doing that would, would sort of stop that from happening. But there's something really dangerous in that because it sort of questions, right straight away for me, it raises a big question, well, how many people are actually giving truly informed consent? to the vaccine in the current crisis. We've got celebrities blaming the unvaccinated for the current restrictions that the state has imposed upon them. That's like one hostage blaming another hostage for the actions of their hostage taker. And and we've got other celebrities who are actively stoking the division against the unvaccinated, and not, not just that, but they're being celebrated and lauded for it. The, these among other things are very very serious warning signs and there's no guarantees in any of this it, it you know it's, i'm sorry but to sit there and say while well, this kind of stuff is happening in your culture and your society ah oh, no don't be a conspiracy theorist that that i would say to you that's not a particularly prudent response to that 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 assumes something that is not guaranteed that assumes the myth of progress that assumes that human history is a constant evolution towards a, a, a greater and better society. But that's not what human history is at all. Human history is a constant series of rises and collapses, rises and collapses. Things grow great, things collapse. Things grow great, things collapse. And there are no guarantees that our culture in our current time is immune to any of that, and so we need to take these signs and these these things that are happening. We need to take them seriously, because if they remain unchecked and they continue to worsen, then you get really really bad outcomes out of the current climate. And so it is it is a it's a matter of being prudent, being calm, being rational, not you know not breathlessly sort of rushing into a hyperventilating state of oh, oh, it's the, oh, the end of the world. Oh. I'm not talking about that. I'm just Talking about a prudent observation and awareness. You see, you know why I think you get how that awareness is formed? It's it's about that moral spidey sense. It should be tingling for you right now. If your spidey sense, your moral spidey sense is, is got a good, you know, it's got some good first principles and your compass is in order, it should at least be tingling right now. It should be tingling. Mine is tingling on an almost daily basis. Saying, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> we're now getting this in very, 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 very dangerous territory. And there's no guarantee that, oh, this will just come to an end quickly and it'll all come to nothing. I mean, hopefully that's the case, but there's no guarantee that that's the case. So that's why this sort of prudent caution is just so essential. So with all of that in mind, what is your line in the sand? What, what, what is your, right, I've got to get out of the water now moment? Because if you don't have one of those, then you're probably going to find yourself still paddling around in the ocean when the tsunami hits, if a tsunami does hit. So the question is, what is your line in the sand? Why is that your line in the sand? And and, and the way to understand that better, I think, is just to sit down and give yourself some good, quiet, contemplative time to, to actually ponder that question and to ponder, well, you know, why? What are my first principles in all of this? To to quote Johnny Cash again, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. The Man in Black. <laughs> I love Johnny Cash. He's a he's a he's a regular on the record player in our house. But he, uh, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. Are your eyes open? And I mean, prudent, not not sort of a weird, you know, witch hunt kind of seeing the devil behind every tree when he's not there kind of way. <laughs> but are they just, is there a prudent moral caution that is present in your life as you sort of navigate the complexities of this current crisis that we find ourselves in? And here's the other thing, by the way, something that's really, really important to consider is that at the end of high noon and spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the film, I'm about to spoil the ending. The end of high noon, of course, Marshal Will Kane makes his stand and well, thank goodness he is successful in making that stand. But at the end it's just him and his new bride. And there's something about that, this this family that makes the stand, but then something really important happens at the very end of the film. There's this the film starts with this joyous celebration and a wedding, and all of the townsfolk are present. The film ends with all of the town folk present as Marshall Kane and his new bride pack up their wagon and just they they don't even hang around. They just they leave that town, shake the dust off their feet, and never come back. So I would say there's something in that that we need to consider. If anybody who might be tempted to, to, to um, if you like, I guess try and punish people or cut them off for drawing a line in the sand, I think particularly for our uh, um, our religious leaders right now, this is something to consider. That there is certainly a big push going on right now. And I'm seeing this from within and from without, from different voices, to say that, for example, those who choose to exercise freedom of conscience and to abstain from a vaccination at this point, that they should be excluded from worshiping communities. I would say to you, not only is that something immoral, we might talk about that in a future episode, but I would say, remember the lesson of Marshall Will Cain who is rejected by the people who should have embraced him. And so he gets on his horse and his carriage, and him and his family, they leave and never come back again. And I think that's something to just to consider in all of this. Another little lesson, if you like, from High Noon. So there you go. That's another episode of the dispatches done and dusted. If you enjoyed this episode, you're not already a subscriber, why not subscribe? Hit that little follow button wherever you're listening. And if you want to get access to those exclusive patron only episodes every single week there's one episode that is published exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com forward slash left foot media then all you have to do is contribute five dollars or more a month to left foot media the link for our patron page is in the show notes for this episode thanks for tuning in don't forget live by goodness truth and beauty not by lies i'll see you next time on the dispatches The Dispatches podcast is a production of Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of our work at patreon.com forward slash left foot media. Link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Dispatches.